What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem Tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy To make sure it all fits in just right Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now here's your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Paul, and their dog Ninja, and sometimes their cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hi, this is Diane. And this is Kelly. Of the History Goes Bump podcast. And you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 356 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy? Jerry? <laughs> we want to start off thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to everything you guys, women and service animals, do for us every day to help keep us safe. You guys are amazing. We pray for you all every single day. Thank you for keeping our country safe. With that being said, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and uh, I, I like to I like to point this out every year because I still think there's a lot of people who don't get exactly what Memorial Day is. Memorial Day is to honor the people in uh, our armed forces who gave the ultimate sacrifice and they died during duty. And it's not, you know, this is this is actually coming from some veterans that talk to me about this. They said they get frustrated when people come up to them on Memorial Day and thank them for their service. Because this day, as they said, is not about them. They have Veterans Day, which is for them. 
and they perfectly love it any other day of the year for people to come up and thank them for their service. But they feel like that Memorial Day, people feel like that's a time to um, thank and honor all veterans uh, and all current members of the armed forces when that's really not what Memorial Day is. So since so many people in the military do get frustrated with that, I always like to point that out just so people have a better understanding of the holiday. So there's that. And then for people who are active duty, there's Armed armed Forces Day Mm -hmm. that's set up for them. But, um, you know, like I said, I just want to make sure that people know the true meaning of Memorial Day. And the other thing that's a big one is you should never wish somebody a happy Memorial Day because it's not a holiday that's meant to be celebrated. It's a holiday that's meant to be a day of remembrance. So it's kind of odd. It would be like wishing somebody a happy funeral day. You wouldn't do that. So this is, this, like I said, this all like literally comes from people who are in the military. These are pet peeves of theirs. So I try to follow that since they're the ones who mention it to me. Also, we want to mention that if you're struggling uh, from anything going on, from a mental aspect, from depression, from just things are weighing on you, on you just, just realize that there are people out there that are pulling for you, that are in your corner, even if you don't realize it. Your mind likes to play those tricks on you and tell you that you're all alone when you're not all alone. Uh, just look around a little bit at your friends and your family and use them, lean on them uh, if you're having problems. Just go to them and talk to them, and I'm telling you, you will feel 100% better. You will. That's true. And we're always here for you guys. If you'd rather do the crisis hotline, you can call 988. You can still text at 741-741. But, you know, guys, please reach out. We will really try to help as much as we can, and we'll always, always be here to listen for you. Absolutely. All right, Tracy, so the story tonight is going to be several stories on what I would call the unexplained. Now, we did an episode like this a couple of years ago, so it doesn't necessarily fit in with the normal stuff we do, but it is something that we don't have an answer for. And Like so, why doctors have to stick their finger up your butthole? No, there's a good reason for that, oh. especially if you're over the age of 40. <laughs> <laughs> But now why aliens do it, that's a completely different story. <laughs> so I want to cover some of these, but I think you guys are, are really going to enjoy these. So the first thing I want to discuss tonight is an incident in, involving some dogs. And this was more of a video, but you won't have to see the video. Now, the video makes it even more incredible, but it's probably one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen with my own eyes. Oh, most will agree that dogs have some superior senses, which uh, that's why they, you know, they're used to track down drugs or people because they have a superior sense of smell and sure taste do. and that type of thing. They also have a more keen sense of hearing than people do. But is it possible that their senses even go above and beyond that? We've talked in the past about animals being able to detect certain types of uh, paranormal activity, just mm-hmm. like they can also detect like somebody who's got diabetes or if they're getting ready to have a seizure. Yeah, or that is amazing. Like that. that is so amazing to me that they can detect all that stuff. And, you know, that, some of that has to do with smell. That's, mm-hmm. that's part of the smell thing. But with the paranormal, 
we've talked a lot about dogs and cats and, and other animals that can just tell that some type of an entity's in a room. Mm-hmm. That may be what happened on this instance in July 2020. This was uh, over in the United Kingdom. Meg Oxby and uh, Jeff Parlette decided to take a little hike, and they were going to take their three dogs. Now, these three dogs were Hungarian Vizlas. They're hunting dogs, basically. Okay. Some people would call them pointers because of their, uh, when they see uh, whatever animal they're hunting or something, they'll stop and kind of point. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that what Irish setters do? Yeah, I think Irish setters do that, too. Nobody's had one of those in 37 years, but yeah. Why? I don't know. You just don't ever see them anymore. Oh. Everybody's got Labradors and um, golden retrievers now. Hmm. So, when I was young, there people used to have golden, I mean, uh, Irish setters all over the place. Anyways, so these dogs have retriever characteristics. They were out just walking along, having a nice little conversation, but then they noticed that all three dogs were frozen in their tracks. When I say frozen, and I know you can't see the video, so I would urge you to to maybe go look it up. I'm going to best describe how these dogs were. First of all, these dogs were perfectly still in this video. They looked like if it looked like they had just taken a snapshot, like a picture. Oh, dang. The only way you could tell any difference was in the background and right there by some of the dogs, the trees and the grass were moving in the wind. Otherwise, you would think this was a still picture. This is how, how still all three of these dogs were. Now, these dogs are not together either. So they're, oh. they're not like standing right there in the same. I mean, some of them are, are six, seven, eight, nine feet apart. They were all in different positions. Oh my gosh. I got to see this. One of them kind of looked like it was going to take a poop. <laughs> but one dog, he had his tail curled up. I mean, not straight, like literally like, curled up. Mm-hmm. One had two legs raised, one in the back and one in the front, like it just stopped in mid-step. Well, that is weird. They stayed like this for four minutes. Come on. And then, like somebody snapped their fingers, they just all stopped and went on their merry way. Oh, my gosh. So what forces could have possibly made... These dogs just stop and stand like that for four minutes straight. Well, what was your owners doing? Like, what the? Videoing them? <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. So, they had the video looked at by some experts. A zoologist by the name of Roxy Furman said that the dogs can freeze like that if they're scared. But the body language in the videos did not show them to be in any type of fear, because you can tell by the way they their uh, ears are and their tails. There's usually different ways they do their ears and their tail when they're scared. Mm-hmm. And she said the video did not show that at all. Also, they had a video analytics expert take a look at the film. He said that the video footage shows nothing in the the camera angle at all of what they would have been afraid of. The analyst also said 
that it would be almost impossible for them to stand in a frozen position for four minutes. That's what I was thinking. How they could do, especially the one on two legs. I could just like stand there like that. Well, she said that she thought that the video must have been edited in some way. So the film was then taken to a forensics video analyst. The analyst, Michael Primo, he said that there are apps out there that can make certain parts of the video animated, such as make the leaves move and stuff like that. Yeah, I I can see that. But these apps can trick viewers, but they can't uh, manipulate a forensics analyst software. And they found nothing to show that the video had been tampered with whatsoever. That's so cool. Dr. Floyd Hayes, who is a biologist, he thinks that it's just an example of breeding over the years. And he seems to think that, you know, these dogs are bred to stop and and point and stand still until... um, the owner or whoever can come up and get whatever they're pointing at. Nah, I don't buy that. Well. Do you buy that? Well, I, I do get to a certain point that that would be the case, but these dogs were not pointing, first of all. And I will say that they do, they do all unfreeze right after a bird flies away. So they do see in there a bird flies away and they kind of all unfreeze. But... These dogs, even though they're hunting dogs, have never been trained for that. They don't, so I mean, it, I don't think that they would just automatically do it on their own because I would have been not, more, they might be bred that way, but they've never been trained to do that. I would have been more impressed if they were frozen under tracks, pointing and laughing. Right. That would have been, that would have been epic. But some things are instinct, but. Come on, all three dogs. It's like they were in a time warp or yeah, something. Yeah, all three dogs just stopped for four minutes. So. Yeah, I mean, it. It you could totally say, well, I mean, whatever, if it was just one dog, but all four of them. Right. And they did it at the very same time. I'll, and- tr- I'll try to try, I'll, I'll try to find a video again and just post it. But it, it's it's amazing. Literally four minutes of them dogs just not moving at all. Man. And, you know, the, the, I said a bird flew away, but not all these dogs were looking in the same area. So how would they all just stop to even know the birds in a different area? You know. Oh, so they w- were all apart and looking at different areas? Yes. Oh, my gosh. What the heck? So they just stopped all of a sudden and stayed that way for four minutes and then just unstopped. <sighs> they must have done some shrooms or something. <laughs> Tracy, we've all seen a mass of birds fly overhead where all the birds just kind of fly in strange directions, but they're all mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And they kind of make these weird shapes in the sky. I know, because what do you know why? Why? I can't it, wait to hear this. No, it's just because God's creations are beautiful, and they do cool things. All right, that sounds pretty scientific, but when birds do this, it's called a murmuration because of the sound that they make. Oh, but we can't hear that, though, can we? I'm sure we probably can if you're close enough, because you got all those birds flapping at one distance. It's bound to make a noise. On March 2nd, 2021, thousands of starlings formed such a murmuration in, it looks like it's a Loch Ennell, Ireland. I think it's how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. 
a sports photographer by the name of James Crombie. He'd been filming these birds for 60 days when he captured something incredible. The birds flew into the shape of a giant bird. Oh, man. It was only a couple seconds. I think it was six or seven frames of film that he took. So, obviously, again, you guys don't have access to the video that I saw. But, picture a bird with its wings spread and its head up. Just what that would look like. Mm -hmm. That's exactly (laughs) what this looked like. They were able to take a picture of a starling in flight and put it side by side and it looked almost identical to what the shape this these birds had done even more they were able to take that bird uh, that picture of the bird the real bird in flight mm-hmm. and put it over top of the mm-hmm. other picture and it matched up almost exactly cool some believe that birds have this type of ESP And they can actually communicate with each other telepathically. Oh, I believe that. We do know from recent studies that birds perceive and process images twice as fast as humans do. This gives them extremely fast reflexes. So was the formation intentional or is this just a case of pareidolia, which we've talked about before? Uh, That's when our minds kind of look at something and say, hey, I see a face there. Mm -hmm. There's really not a face. Right. It's just a coincidence, possibly. So let's start with why birds fly in flocks to begin with, primarily for safety reasons. A flock can spot predators much quickly than a single bird. Also, they fly in in those kind of weird patterns that we just talked about to confuse predators. If they're flying in these... Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of them flying well, in, in these separate are. different things. That's really It's smart. harder for a predator to actually pick one out and go after them. I it's like the whole it. strength and numbers thing. They can also stay warmer at nighttime when they're doing this mm-hmm. because they're staying in the flocks. But lastly, it's easier to communicate and tell others where the best feeding locations are. <laughs> the Polly's house. Yeah. Next <laughs> house on the. Yeah, let me talk about come here. They may not. Okay, I know you're like right in the middle of the story, but what is up with these birds that are coming to the house and just croaking? I have no idea. It's really breaking my heart. That's two in less than a week. Yes, and I don't know if that's a good sign or not. I don't know. It may not be a good sign. Because one of them was a chickadee. We talked about it on, on here on one of the shows. But don't they always say bird in the house means death? Yeah, I think it's if a bird flies in your house, not just you don't bring them in and cause death. Oh. So, and I don't think it means death to the bird. <laughs> <laughs> no, it means death to us. Yeah. Well, we made it past the first one, so. Oh, my gosh. Poor little birdies. Sorry, go ahead. Right. Birds, do not come to our house. Just don't. Birds can be very intelligent. Of course, we've all heard about how crows remember faces and hold grudges and they talk <laughs> to each other. That is so funny to me. <laughs> but did you know that a a parrot is proven to be as smart as a five-year-old human? I do not doubt it for a bit. Not one bit. Scientists say that in these flocks of birds, they communicate with the closest birds. So the the five or six that are closest to them, they can communicate with, but they wouldn't be able to communicate with the whole flock to to be able to say, hey, let's make this shape. 
Yeah. So that's what scientists say. So they're saying that it's unlikely that they could actually all be on the same wavelength to make um, an image like a bird, for say. One seems to think that because James shot footage over 60 days, that it was just uh, only a short period of time before they got the shape of a bird. So it must be a coincidence. Because why didn't it make the shape of a bird any other time in 60 days of him filming it? Well, that's very true. But still, but that, yeah, it's still kind of strange. It is very strange. But it's so cool that he got that on camera. Yes. All right. This next story is wild. And you know what? I forgot again to say. We have an interview. We have a special guest. But um, we've got James from the 13th floor. And uh, the 13th floor podcast is a Kentucky podcast. And man, we have some fun chats. Because we didn't talk so much paranormal because he's into entomology, which is the study of bugs and stuff. So we got to talk about uh, spiders and bees and stuff like that. And you guys are going to find this absolutely fascinating. I heard them talk about it on their show. And I was so fascinated with it. I was like, this is what I want to talk about. We <laughs> talked We talked a little bit of paranormal and stuff. And uh, I think we, I can't remember everything we talked about. But we mainly talked about bees and spiders and stuff like that. Marsha Brady would have loved that interview. Oh, I'm sure she would have. Just like when we did the football player. She would have oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, That's really cool, though. Yeah, you guys are going to absolutely love that. So that'll be on after we get finished with this one. Tracy, the next story here is kind of wild. We're going to go to Pueblo, Colorado. A doctor by the name of Rocky Kosla. He and his family were out kind of just grabbing some food. You know, they're, they're making their rounds, so they're all in the car. They're driving around. It starts raining like crazy. This is like a, one of those storms that causes flash floods. Mm. Okay? Terrible to be in. They notice that there's a car on a low-lying road, and it's quickly becoming submerged because it's filling up with water over mm -hmm. there very quickly. The car starts floating away. Not their car, the car that's, that's been yeah. being submerged. By sheer coincidence, a news crew is coming by. They stop, they get out of their vehicle, and they start filming. Dr. Kosley and several other people that had stopped, they jump out and they run to this car to try to save 35-year-old Charlene Herrera. At this point, she's in about 10 feet deep of water. Oh, my God, how scary. The doctor finds a floating piece of wood. He grabs it and he makes his way to the car. And by now the car is fully submerged. Rose, take pointers. <laughs> he is pounding away at the window with this piece of wood. Nothing's happening. So here's where it gets weird. Another person who hadn't been helping makes his way over to the car. He reaches under the water and almost immediately out pops Charlene Herrera. Like out of nowhere. Like out of what? The window? Good question. You initially just think, great, she saved, that's all that matters. What a great rescue story. But wait. When the car was pulled from the water, there's no broken glass, no windows rolled down, and no open doors. How did Charlene get out of the car? From the trunk. <laughs> we must assume 
that the last man to show up must have reached down and, and under the water maybe opened the door, right? Well, he just disappeared right after the rescue, so nobody could ask him what happened. The woman who was rescued refused to answer any questions about the rescue. Now, according to a physicist, it would have been nearly impossible for a window to have been rolled down and rolled back up to where it would have been rolled up because this car had electric windows and electricity, electric systems of cars out. and water, yeah, water don't work well. They short out. So that wouldn't work. So what about the fact that maybe this guy opened a door and maybe he just closed it? Well, a physicist said that with the pressure of the water all around the car, it would have been physically impossible for a person to open a door even on the inside of the car. The pressure would be pushing in. He said that it, it literally, would, the strongest man in the world probably could not have opened that door. Wow. Let alone somebody just reach under and boom, she popped out. And that's all on video, by the way. Of her popping out? Yeah. The video of the guy walking up and her just popping out is all on video. Just popping out of the water or popping out of the car? She popped out of the water, babe. Yeah. The car, But the car was under the water, so... Dang it. I wonder... No. No, that wouldn't work either. Yeah, if we saw her popping out of the car, we would have her answer. Huh? No, she didn't have a sunroof. Okay. Like I said, she literally does just pop out of the water as soon as the guy sticks his hand in there. So just picture this. You got water chest high. Yeah. A guy reaches his hand under the water, and almost as soon as he does, a woman's head pops out. Wow. From from the water. Like I said, was this guy possibly an angel or something? Remember, he disappeared from the scene very quickly. Well, that might exp- Well, I don't know. Why would she not talk about it? That's the other question. Why wouldn't the woman in this case talk about what happened? That makes zero sense whatsoever. Maybe she thought people would think she was crazy if she knew saw the person, like thought he was an angel or whatever. Maybe so. And she thought nobody would believe her. But I mean, I think somebody would believe her in that case. How else does she get out? Plus, I don't think when they opened the car door, I don't think there was much water in the car. If somebody had opened the door, rolled down a window, it would have filled up with water. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's very unexplainable. Oh, well, good for her, though. I'm glad she survived. All right, last story. Bitch, tell that story. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry, that popped you, out. I, I don't understand why she wouldn't talk about it. I don't know either. I would Unless be so thankful. she's just thankful. embarrassed that she drove down maybe in a, in oh, come a on. place where she knew she shouldn't have or something. But oh, come on. It makes no sense. Yeah. I don't know. That makes no sense. All right, last story. Jennifer, as we'll call her, was an 18-year-old lady. And she was trying to make ends meet struggling as a, a mm-hmm. young girl out on her own. She became a server at a Coney Island-style restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's a little diner, basically. This restaurant was open 24 hours a day, six days a week. They only closed at 3 a.m. on Sunday, and then they opened back up at 6 a.m. Monday morning, and then 24 hours the rest of the time. This particular event happened at 2.30 a.m. on a Friday morning. She was the only server on her shift, and the only other uh, person in the restaurant was in the kitchen cooking. There was a reg- uh, a regular at the restaurant that we will call Joe. 
Joe was a senior citizen who liked to hang out at the bars every night. Mm -hmm. He would then come in there after the bars closed at 2 o'clock, and uh, he would order some late-night food. Like I said, he came in every night around 2.30. He always ordered the same thing, coffee, two eggs, over easy, and wheat toast. Wasn't it odd? No bacon or... I do the same thing, though. I was going to say, well, who are you talking? You don't do it either. I only did that at Waffle House. Which I'll never understand. When I go to, like, other breakfast places, I always get bacon or sausage links. Anyway. His order always came out to $4.37, and Joe would always leave $6 and tell Jennifer to keep the change. Oh, how sweet. On this particular night, Jennifer saw some emergency vehicles go down the street past the restaurant, headed towards the bar. Sirens were blaring, of course, as you would expect. But a minute later, here comes Joe. Jennifer gets his coffee, and uh, she asked him if he knew what was going on, what mm-hmm. was going on with all this stuff, and she said he just shook his head no. Jennifer then looked at her boss, who was uh, in the kitchen through the window, and she told her Joe was here, so with that being said, she went ahead and Got Joe's order together, and Joe's order came out within three minutes. He sat at the counter for a little bit. He got up. He slapped down some money. He said, keep the change, honey, as he always did. And he walked out, same as usual. Did he not eat his food? When Jennifer went over to get the money to cash him out, she noticed that none of the food or coffee had been touched. Oh, no. There was also a $100 bill on the table, and that much money was life-changing at this time for Jennifer. On Sunday, she read in the newspaper that Joe had been involved in a fight at the bar on that Friday night, and he had been fatally injured. Oh, my gosh. Joe. Oh, and he did his last good deed, bless his heart. So... How did Joe end up in that restaurant, and how was he able to, to leave a physical $100 That tip? is so weird. I do not know. Wow. Aw. But there's you four stories of unexplainable events. And like I said, I'll try to find videos of all those ones that we talked about, and I'll post them on, uh, on in the group and on the Hillbilly Horror Story page so you guys can see that. Definitely. I want to see that. But, wow. Interesting stories. All right, let's take a quick sponsor break, and then uh, we'll be back to talk about a few things. All right, Tracy, let's talk the cruise first. We are selling a bunch of cruise tickets, so that's good. Mm-hmm. So I had a chance to talk to Robin the other day. Uh, I would highly advise, if you want to go on the cruise, go ahead and sign up now. It's only a $100 deposit. And you can start making payments. Your payments will be dirt cheap. You've got till the end of next July, or uh, I don't know if it's the end of July, but you've got till next July to finish paying for it. The longer you wait, the more your payments are going to be. And it's also everything is refundable. So if something happens down the road and you can't go, you do get your money back. True story. No harm in in doing it. If you want more details of the cruise, go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And there is a whole page dedicated to the uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories Brohio Cruise. Uh, pictures and videos of the cabin so you can kind of choose what you like all the prices there and uh, robin at vacation experts can hook you up 
All right, so let's talk live shows. Um, still working on details on this one. I'll try to get it. I'll have them worked out by next week, but this uh, kind of hit us all of a sudden. This was something that work took place over the last couple of days. But Justin Rimmel approached us about possibly doing an event at the Bell Mansion up in Fort Wayne. This place is beautiful. It's eerie at the same time. It's got a heck of a uh, haunted reputation. We had Jeff Walker on the show uh, several months ago to talk about all the spirits and everything there. He was giving some tours and stuff. So it was something we had talked about possibly doing at one point, and now it looks like it's going to happen September 2nd. And this one's going to be a unique setup. If you remember, uh, Justin and, and us did a deal with the Sally House back in 2019 to where we offered tours and spend the night, and we were going to give a listener a chance to be able to spend the night with us, and we drew names and stuff. This is going to be a similar type deal. So we will actually have a live show. There will be a tour involved and an investigation afterwards, a true investigation. So you get, you're get you going to be able to get all three of these, and we're still working out prices and stuff like that, but your ticket will get you all three of those things. So it's going to be a very cool situation, and I think somebody's going to get a chance to spend the night with us inside the Bell Mansion. That's scary on itself. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, I'll have more details on that coming up soon, ticket prices and stuff like that. Justin and I are going to talk tomorrow and try to work, uh, work out the rest of the details. But in the meantime, we have um, Detroit coming up in August. That's our seventh anniversary show. And coming up rapidly, you've got July 15th, Buffalo, New York, with special guest Tyler Allen from Minds of Madness. Ohio and the before mentioned Justin Remo from Mysterious Circumstances. That's going to be a blast. Come up, spend the weekend, go see Niagara Falls. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to have a blast. Yep. Sounds wonderful. I cannot wait to hang with you crazy dudes. Yes. You can buy tickets for all those on our website, except for Bell Mansion, because that's not up there yet. We don't know that one yet. But uh, Buffalo and Detroit, go get your tickets. Those These things have the ability to sell out really quickly. Yeah, looking so. forward to it, guys. We hope you will join us. All right, Tracy, what do you got going on over there? Well, we have uh, some good iTunes reviews this week. Thank you, guys. We have Glow Jimmer, Mojo Lobster, Annoyed to the Bone, and Jason B. Thank you guys so much for your very nice comments. You guys rock. And we never, ever forget them. And we appreciate them so, so much. So we appreciate y'all taking the time out of your day just to write the review. And keep them coming. Absolutely. Hey guys, quick question. Do you like conversations about ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and many mysteries of our strange world? Well, uh, I know you do because you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories and those are the same type of topics that we cover on Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now, since we know that you love those kind of topics, you should be listening to the Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold. Jim Harold is literally the podfather when it comes to paranormal podcasting. I don't know a single podcaster in the paranormal genre that doesn't look up to Jim Harold. As best that Jim can tell, the Paranormal Podcast, which launched in 2005, is the longest-running podcast of its type on the internet. That says something, folks. Jim's interviewed big names in the paranormal. People like Jack Osborne on Ghosts, Dr. Raymond Moody on Near-Death Experiences, and Jacques Vallée on UFOs. The show focuses on every aspect of unexplained phenomena. Each week, an expert joins Jim for a 
a serious discussion of mysterious matters. The show really harkens back to the best of paranormal media over the years, shows like In Search Of and Unsolved Mysteries. It's kind of like a box of chocolates. You never know the topic you'll get, but it's sure to be fascinating. Do me a personal favor. Tune in to the Paranormal Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Heal Believe Horror Stories. You'll be glad you did. All right, guys, let's listen to James from the 13th Floor Podcast. Hey, guys, it's not often that I get to bring on another Kentucky podcast, but I'm excited about this. We had our guys from Midnight in Kentucky on and a couple out of Louisville, but uh, this one's uh, out and about in the in the state. I'm excited to have James York on. He is uh, part of the 13th Floor podcast with uh, husband and wife team of Alex and CeCe Cornett. And a lot of times the their new baby is on the show, as I've noticed that uh, they tend to hold, uh, to hold the baby sometimes during the episode. So you get a little bit of the mixture and and uh, here you take the baby for right now or I'll take the baby for right now. But <laughs> your guys show is absolutely amazing. I love it. I have binged it over the last couple of weeks and uh Man, we you know we tried to set this up, James. I think last year, and it was yeah. at the time where I I caught COVID, and I was recall, completely yeah. out. And then somehow or another, everything fell through the cracks, man. And 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 I stumbled hey, no again across the podcast, and I was like, I need to get you guys on. So thanks for coming on. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me. Thank thank you very much. Big fan of your show too. Well, I appreciate that. Tell us about the podcast if we haven't heard. And there is another 13th floor podcast, but there is if you look it up, but it's it's not your podcast by by far. Yeah. Uh, we're not tell me, yeah. tell me about yours. Uh yeah, the 13th floor is all about paranormal, conspiracy, just strange things. And uh one one unique take that we have on it is we like to talk about cryptids, we like to talk about aliens, we like to talk about demons, but we like to talk about it with a little bit of a lighthearted slant on it. Mm -hmm. It's a fun show, like I said, because of that. So you've got, uh, but I, you. I love your take on stuff. You, you know, all three of you have different, uh, have something different you bring to the show. And like I Thanks. said, it's an absolute blast. With that being said, we're going to talk about something today that's not on the paranormal realm, but I found it fascinating because I heard you guys talking about it on one of your episodes. I want to talk a little bit. Well, let's talk about your fascination with things like <laughs> uh, insects and reptiles and vertebrates. Sure. You you tend to be that's that seems to be your area of expertise. Uh, and Thank and you. I don't know if you're familiar with the guys from uh, I think it's is it Weird and Wild West Virginia. I'm drawing a blank. Um, oh, I know who you're talking about, but I'm I'm not going to be able to figure out the name though. I know what you're yeah, talking about I, though. I, I I completely drew a blank from it, but them guys have an awesome podcast as well. But they also, you know, are right all the reptiles shows because they also, yeah, you know, sell reptiles and stuff like that. So they're at and you know right. in the different types of insects and stuff. So they're at all these shows and and uh, so I find that fascinating. You're kind of in the same realm. Tell me about your fascination with uh, those sure. type of critters. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And funny enough, I'm I'm no stranger to reptile shows. I've I've been haunting uh the Kentucky one for several times, just trying to see if my tarantula spice fathered any babies or not. Um, but really from from as far back as I can remember, from when I was little, I've always loved animals, like just all animals. 
And when you're little and you want to learn about animals and you're very far away from the zoo, the best way to learn about all the biodiversity in the world is just going in your yard or going in a field and looking at all the the arthropods, all the bugs and, and critters. And uh, from a very early age, as a result, I just sort of was captivated by them. They're very remarkable. They're, they're all over the place. They're incredibly diverse. And there's something, I, I think this plays into the whole little boy fantasy as well, you know, liking animals. There's something robotic about insects that, that they kind of remind you of uh, transformers or something. They're, they're different from mammals and reptiles in that respect. And I think that adds to the charm. You know, it's funny. I, I was just looking at a meme that popped up this morning randomly uh, about mm -hmm. the roly polies. I can't remember what their technical uh, names are, but it was talking no about how how they actually um, they take dangerous metals out of the ground, such as mercury. That's right. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I was like, you know, because you always wonder, you know, what the hell possible a place in this earth could this thing have i mean why why does it even exist uh, right and then you and then you see something like that and you're like i would have never known that or even thought that that something like that could happen but absolutely yeah yeah isopods are a remarkable thing um in, in fact I, just on a personal note i had a uh an isopod armadillium vulgari was the species and i named him slater because on the west coast people call roly-poly slaters um and I had this thing for two years, which is really longer than they're supposed to live. But what was odd about him, my first ever invertebrate pet was a tailless whip scorpion named Cadavera. Those are the things, the reason why her name's Cadavera, those are the things in the Harry Potter movies they're doing the curses on in the, the classroom. They're real. They're not C just CGI creatures. Um, but she had this roly-poly ostensibly as a pet. She would uh, let it walk all over. He would eat whatever muck she happened to walk through, uh, she would actively feed him at times. It was very bizarre behavior that has never been observed as far as I know of Fertilis whip scorpions. I mean, she took care of this animal. Interesting. So mm. how big are those? Cause I don't watch any of the Harry Potter movies. So, Oh, sure. Uh, well, this is the biggest kind of Tellus whip scorpion. Most of them are about, you know, two or three inches across, not counting those big long legs of theirs. But she was about, uh, I'd say, three and a half, give or take. And if you encounter those big, long legs, she could probably stretch out nine inches. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't want to get stung by that. No, and thankfully, that they're the most harmless arachnid that looks like they would just wreck you on some level. They're scary looking. Now, let me make sure I'm understanding. Are you saying Taylor Swift scorpions? Like the singer? That would or be... That would be ideal, but Taylor Swift scorpions. <laughs> I thought maybe you were talking about Taylor Swift was feeding this thing, and I'm like, well, that would be interesting. And, you know, as soon as it's stung her or something, she'd just write a song about it. There we go. Yeah, as far as I know, Billie Eilish is the only uh, pop star that, that keeps her invertebrates. Oh, cool. So mm. today I wanted to speak about something specifically, a couple of things actually specifically, but you guys were breaking down bees, honeybees, I believe, and specifically. Do me a favor, because I, I, I didn't think this would be something I would find fascinating, but I did. I find it extremely fascinating. You guys were had, uh, kind of each taking a part in, in, in this, and I believe it was actually Cece that was talking more about the bees, but I knew, I knew you would still know all this because you kept chiming in. 
tell me a little bit about the just the different types of bees in the hive and how that works. Oh, sure. Yeah, they have a really unique caste system because it's it's age-based. So what happens is uh, a bee that's laid from a fertilized egg, depending on what the hive needs in that moment, they'll either turn it into a queen or more likely a worker. And if they decided to make it a worker, the only difference is they give it a smaller cell and they don't give it royal jelly. They just feed it regular uh, nectar and pollen and things like that. And after about three weeks, it's going to emerge as an adult. And immediately upon being an adult, they have it do what's kind of called like the janitorial duties. So for, for several days or even a week, it's going to be cleaning the hive. And then it's going to get upgraded. Then it's going to take care of the queen. And then from there, it's going to be a guard at the entrance. And once it gets to a certain age, and it's very bizarre how they just know when they get you know promoted, uh, once it gets to the oldest point, then it goes out into the field and starts collecting pollen and nectar. So it's all age-based. They're not born into these casts. They just slowly develop into different roles. And every bee that lives to die of old age has experienced every possible job that a, a bee would have assigned to them. That's incredible. So like you said, uh, uh, when it's born, they if it's not, if it's a queen, they feed it royal jelly. What exactly would that be? What, and it would, yeah, how would that be different than what the other bees would get fed? Sure. Yeah. So a normal baby bee, the larvae, which they look like little white worm creatures. They're not cute in any stretch when they're babies. Um, they're normally fed a mixture of pollen and nectar, but in order to make a queen bee a queen bee, the bees will actually secrete a compound called royal jelly, and it's very nutrient dense. And because it's very nutrient dense, it's really useful at the development of ovaries and all the hormonal changes that are necessary to make a queen bee. The only difference between a worker bee and a queen bee is when they're babies they're given adequate nutrition to fully develop their ovaries and ultimately become a fertile female instead of a sterile female. That's really the only difference. And there's, there's even a weirder thing. It's probably the weirdest thing in my opinion, that bees do. Um, let's say the queen dies from some sudden cause. It's very unexpected. It's a shock to the colony. There's no baby queen bees to be had. All these workers are female, but they're sterile. What they will do, this they we don't know how. We don't know how they even make the decision, but some worker bee is selected from among the you know 20,000 worker bees, and she's just chosen outright. You're gonna make a clone baby without ever having you're you're a virgin bee, you're never gonna breed, you don't have fully functioning ovaries, but we're gonna feed you a bunch of royal jelly, and we're gonna make a royal cell for a new queen baby. And you are going to lay a clone egg because, again, she's never been bred. It's just 100% her DNA. And then they'll feed it royal jelly. And that will be the new queen. It's like this emergency scenario that they've evolved. And we we really don't know how they make that decision, like who gets to be the mom of the new queen. So what exactly is the purpose of the queen? Is it just to produce more eggs and, and larvae? Is that the pretty much real yeah. responsibility? You can, you can really think of a bee colony as a single organism. And just as, you know, we have liver cells and kidney cells and all that, 
really it's a hermaphrodite organism where all the males, the drones, they're just the male reproductive organs of the colony. And the female is the female reproductive organs. And then all the workers, they do all the other roles. And, uh, you know, it's funny, we use the word queen like she's in charge, but she's not. The, the colony as a whole makes a lot of decisions, you know, and she communicates with them with different scents and different compounds to certain ends, but it's always for the good of the colony. It's not for her well-being. In fact, if she ever goes through bee menopause where she's just laying drone eggs, they will, and we don't know how they figure that out either, but at some point they kind of reach a consensus where they're like, this isn't working, and they kill her and replace her. Um, so they, they're they more democratic than we characterize them normally. So what about the bees that are out and about and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're getting, uh, I believe, and I'm trying to remember even what the question was, but mm -hmm. I, you guys talked about something about when they're out about how I think they have to memorize how far something is or yeah. the different places. Tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's only in the last stage of their, their lives. You know, if they survive long enough to get past guard B, then they become a uh, scavenger for pollen and bees have about 10 times the neurons of most insects, which is still not a lot. It's like, I don't know, 20,000 to 100,000 neurons, which is just a drop in the bucket for a human. And yet they have a lot of remarkable uh, cognitive skills. And one of them is both understanding where they are geographically and then communicating that. So what a bee will do when they first, first day on the job, they, they've never seen the outside world before. They'll walk out, They'll fly above the, the hive and they will circle it multiple times. And they'll taking account where the sun is, where the hive is, where the sun is, where the hive is. And once they've got that down and memorized, they'll venture out, they'll find uh, flowers and they like to get flowers from certain species at once. They don't like to mix the nectar and pollen when they can. And so let's say one finds a bunch of rhododendrons, which is creates mad honey. It's not something a human would want, but it's great for the bees, uh, mainly because a lot of things don't want to rob them when they have rhododendron. Um, but it finds a big patch of that. It will measure how far it is. It will measure the, the angle, the trajectory. It's almost like trigonometry, where the sun is in the sky in relation to the hive, where the sun is in the sky in relation to the flowers, where the hive is in relation. So they'll triangulate that. And then they'll go back to the colony and they will dance. Uh, and that's how they communicate with each other. A lot of times there's, there's a, a hormonal um, pheromone element to communication, but there's also dancing and depending on how far away that flower is and depending on the angle in relation to the sun at that time of day of where the flower patch is from the hive, it will alter how that dance is performed. And it'll tell all the other worker bees, Hey, 150 meters Northeast at noon from the hive is a big patch of rhododendron flowers. And then they'll all take that information and use that. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a little heartwarming factoid about bees that just really wasn't discovered until the past year. Um, they engage in play behavior. And it seems so counterintuitive. When we think of bees, we almost think of these little robots that just work and, and live and die for, for the colony. And that's all. And they're not individuals and they don't have personal preferences. But uh, a study was done where a hive was placed in front of a platform that led to food. And it was, it was two routes. There was a, just a straight line to food, very efficient. 
great for the colony as a whole, but there was also a path that was littered with these little balls that had been perfectly weighed to where a bee, if they stood on it, could sort of roll around on the ball. And to the absolute shock of the scientists uh, who performed it, they almost always chose the path that took a while, but was more fun. Because what these bees would do, they would stand on the ball and they would balance themselves and they would just sort of roll along almost like a, like a kid on a unicycle. And they almost always chose that over the more efficient path because it was fun and for no other reason. That's awesome. My, my son uh, just started uh, his own beehives and stuff about a year and a half ago. Excellent. So yeah, he's, he's really starting to get into it. So it's kind of, oh, kind of cool to be fantastic. able to find out stuff that I had no idea about. Uh, good deal. All right, let's switch gears. Some people uh, love them. Some people hate them, but we're going to talk spiders. Sounds good. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, I think, a, a I think you termed it a jumping spider. I know that's not the technical term for yeah. it. Give me a little bit of information about that because I'm not sure what a jumping spider exactly is. Sure. Yeah. Jumping spiders are probably the least feared spider by, by human standards. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they look a little bit more like a mammal in the way their face is arranged. So really all a jumping spider is, it's a spider in the family salticity. And the qualities that they have, they, they have sort of a shorter squatter kind of shape rather than the crab shape that a lot of spiders have. They have eight eyes, but the way they're oriented there's two massive ones in the center of the face, which is gives it a more mammal look, which is one of the reasons why people often think they're cute. Not everybody, but a lot of people. <laughs> um, because they are uh, true spiders and not, not like tarantulas, they have a calissery with fangs that terminate at the end. That's the mouth parts that go side to side. That's a quality you'll find in all uh, true spiders. And even though they don't make webs like all true spiders, they have spinnerets at the end of their abdomen that they use to make silk, which in their case they use more as a protective measure because when they jump, if they miss the mark, they can use it as kind of a safety net or a, a line to get back. And everybody who's ever seen one jump and miss has witnessed that where they'll fall, but they'll catch themselves with that silk. Um, but the thing that's really unique about jumping spiders and what gives them the name is, and it's also very robotic, it's a quality they have that reminds me of a transformer. They have hydraulic legs that can store a lot of kinetic energy, basically through just pumping the hemolymph, which is like invertebrate blood. It's, it's lymph and blood combined and it's colorless. They just put a lot of it within those leg muscles. And so it hydraulically stores that energy so that when they release, it just throws them uh, in, in a very specific direction. They're really good at, at going uh, and guiding where they jump, mainly because they're predators and they have to be accurate about it. But I mean, it would be like a person leaping a couple of football fields with hydraulic leg presses <laughs> that, uh, that again, is very accurate. Like you look at animals with similar technology, like grasshoppers and leafhoppers, um, they have that similar structure uh, and with bigger leg muscles, like in the case of grasshoppers, but they're not very accurate. Anybody who's ever seen a leafhopper or a plant hopper or a grasshopper jump, I mean, they're just, they don't have a lot of control. Whereas a jumping spider, I mean, it's, they can just pinpoint their prey and just be on them so fast. You, you blink and they're there. How far can one jump? Ooh, I mean, 
would probably depend on the species. Um, one a really big and common one in America, Phytopus regius. You're looking at a couple of feet, which translated to their body would be uh, several hundred meters for a human being. I mean, it how would big, be like superhero. How big is the actual spider typically? Uh, Size in Phytopus, coin relation. Oh, perfect. I was actually hoping you to ask that. Um, Phytopus regius, the biggest that they'll get, and this is, you know, unique, would be about a nickel. Um, and that's that's okay. toe-to-toe. That's not including the head and butt and all that. That's just toe-to-toe, about a nickel. Okay, yeah. So they're not very big at all then. No, no. Um, and those are, the, the reason why those are sold, Phytopus regius, as pets is because that's on the bigger side of things. And you can kind of interact with them. Whereas a lot of the other species, they're so small and flighty that they're a little tougher to keep. You had mentioned on your show, and you'll have to correct me if I got this wrong. I was half asleep when I listened to this episode. (laughs) But I think you said something about where there's some recent studies that showed that some of these uh, spiders actually dream, which they didn't realize before. That's absolutely right. Um, it's one of those things where we we can't be a hundred percent certain. Which, when it comes to thoughts and feelings and, and neurology, you can never really be a hundred percent certain of anything. But when they've observed these jumping spiders when they enter a state of dormancy, which we normally wouldn't even call sleep because it's a little different. You know, they're they're capable of being aware of, of their surroundings usually. But we noticed that if you you look really close at both the brain and the eyes. There's rapid eye movement, and then there's bodily movements associated with dreamlike behavior. It's kind of like when you see your dog and it's dreaming that it's chasing something and it runs. These spiders would sometimes act as if they were catching something or eating or running from something in their sleep, which when you pair that with the fact that the eyes were moving rapidly, just like a mammal's does when we dream, the most logical conclusion is that they're dreaming and they're dreaming about things vivid enough that it could be compared to a mammal's dreams, like a dog's. That's really cool. Yeah. You you mentioned, um, you used the term a couple of times, a real spider. And Uh, then you said something about a tarantula. You made the, uh, or at least I assumed you mean that a tarantula is not technically considered a real spider uh, or a technical spider. Yeah, it's one of the most confusing terms that I wish that when the scientists had come up with it, they, they'd use different terminology. It's almost like cold-blooded and warm-blooded. You know, that that threw people off a long time. It's like, well, this animal's not cold-blooded. It's it's 70 degrees. Well, that's not the what cold-blooded is. Um, similarly, so tarantulas are spiders, but unfortunately, the term for the two different kinds of spiders includes the term true spiders, which sounds like the other group isn't. Uh, but really, the way you can differentiate it, uh, spiders kind of had a little uh, fork in the road evolutionarily, where some of them developed side to side calicery and a more what we call a spider like shape. And uh, that's almost every spider you'll see outside of trapdoor spiders, tarantulas, and mouse spiders, which there are trapdoor and mouse spiders in Kentucky. You just almost never see them because they're underground, but uh, I've seen them occasionally. But uh, tarantulas, trapdoor spiders, and mouse spiders, oh, and funnel webs, um, they fall into a very different group called megalomorpha. So the, the true spiders are called araniomorpha, which just means shaped like a spider. That's literally all it means. Whereas megalomorpha means shaped like a shrew. 
And that's because their fangs go up and down like a stapler. And if you look at, you know, when one makes a threat display or tries to eat something, there's something kind of rodent-like about those two fangs. They kind of go up and down like a shrew. And that's where they drew that comparison. And so megalomorphs like tarantulas, they have those really big up and down fangs that are kind of intimidating. Whereas true spiders, again, they're all spiders, but still the uraniomorphs, they have those little pinchy looking fangs that go side to side. Okay. Like, uh, you know, like other types of insects. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely compare them to, uh, to insects, the way the mandibles go side to side, right. at least in, in like beetles and stuff. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking about was a beetle or something like that. So. Uh, yeah. Good deal. All right. I'm going to leave this one up to you. Throw me out any interesting fact that you think people would would be curious about of either insects or uh, in anything else in the reptile world. Throw me out one fact that you find just simply amazing that kind of matches up with some of this other stuff that we've heard today. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I think probably one of the, the most interesting facts uh, that I can think of in terms of invertebrates is just one specific invertebrate that I find to be very scary and spooky. And, you know, we, we talked about some heartwarming things. I think maybe it would be a fun shift to talk about a scary one. There is a uh, true bug, an assassin bug called Acanthaspis pedax. And it is one of the spookiest. It literally inspired a horror script for me personally, because it's such a spooky animal. It's an assassin bug. And for those of you who don't know, an assassin bug, most true bugs, they got this mouth part called a rostrum. It's like a little straw. And most of them are vegetarians. They they treat the, the trees and flowers of the world like Capri suns. They just jab the straw in and they suck out the fluids. But some of them evolve to be predatory and they do the same thing. They just treat animals like Capri suns. And uh, I can't, that, well, I, I won't say it twice because I'll, I'll butcher it the second time. But this particular assassin bug <laughs> only goes after ants. And ants communicate with aromas. That they're, they're very, they're relatively intelligent social animals like bees, but they use smell a lot more than vision. Their vision is not so great. And it takes advantage of this. When it's a baby, it tricks an ant into finding it by, by mimicking an injured ant. And then it drains it like a Capri Sun, and then it puts its corpse on its body and it uses it to attract more ants who think, oh, well, there's a corpse. Or sometimes it'll shuffle around like it's injured and they'll think, oh, one of our compatriots is injured. And it will just do this to, to trap and trick them. And ultimately, after it gets enough, it just becomes a big pile of dead ants that other ants will, will walk past without a moment's notice because it'll hang around in like that graveyard portion of a hive and will just capture and kill ants. And to me, the reason why that's so spooky is if there was a human equivalent, it would be a full-blown campfire story. I mean, it sounds like a skinwalker or something. You know, it literally wears corpses to disguise itself as the thing it hunts. And I can't think of a spookier animal, to be honest. <laughs> you know what? We've, we've talked about before on the show some of these um, uh, insects and stuff that will... Well, not, not so much an insect, but more of a... Um, uh, parasite that will, mm. you know, take over an animal or an insect and make right. it more or less a zombie type situation, you know, and that's yeah. always been kind of freaky to me. 
Oh, very. Yeah. Ophiocordyceps unilateris, uh, which also ants can't catch a break. So many things mess with ants. And that's one of them. Um, I mean, that's what inspired The Last of Us. The the idea of like, what if that happened to people? What if there was a fungus that hijacked a person's mind and turned them into a zombie? Yeah. Pretty messed up. Did you go? I'm assuming you went to some kind of schooling for this because you seem to know more than the Uh, average person that just is caught up in it and doing a lot of research. uh, uh, Thank you. Um, I did take a couple of entomology classes and I kind of thought about getting a master's in it. But uh, most of this is just uh, the the power of obsession. (laughs) Just a lot of research uh, on, on my private time. Now, did you just say, this kind of went past me, did you just say that the cemetery portion of, of like, uh, the the, so the ants actually have a cemetery like we would? Sort of. It's not uh, for an emotional reason so much as it's hygienic. It's just a case of, which that's probably how our practices evolved, though. Um, It was more the idea of, we don't want disease to spread, so we need an area just for the dead. Because if we just throw them outside, it could draw predators. And if we keep them laying around, we're going to get sick. So let's have a, a designated place. And uh, funny enough, because they use smells to communicate, uh, scientists have actually taken the compounds that tell an ant that another ant's dead and applied it to living ones. And they'll just pick up their living sister and and carry her off to the cemetery and it'll be fighting, you know, like I'm not dead. And they'll just chuck them and it just keeps repeating. They keep getting yeah, you are too dead. To Shut up. <laughs> exactly. You're dead to me. So, hmm. you know, you, you, I'm be willing to bet, you know, the answer to this. We had a story the other day that came up about uh, it was, it was talking about a, a lost tribe of Native Americans uh, up in the Rockies. So it's kind of more of a legend than it is true, but they were called the Snake People. It, within the story, the gentleman, uh, this was back in a story in 1982, he said he was traveling to see his sister, and uh, these people worshipped giant vipers. And sure. the, the the Native Americans did. And they each were, they had their own little groups, and each one had their own snake you know, that mm. they would worship pretty much like a God. So this guy says he's going to, to visit his sister up in the, up in the Rockies. And uh, he didn't know the story. Uh, he was native American. I guess this was a reservation area, but he says he gets out to open a gate and he could smell in the air that there was a pit viper around. Uh... I had, was unaware that snakes had a certain smell but apparently, yeah. I mean, is this something you can vouch for? Is this something you know about? It's something I can personally vouch for. When I was a kid, and this goes back to the whole obsession with animals, uh, if I was not reading a book about animals, I was in the woods, you know, trying to find animals. And uh, one thing about being in the woods in Kentucky is if you smell something that smells kind of like green tomatoes or a tomato plant, it's really tough to compare it to anything else. It's like the smell that the tomato plants have. Chances yeah. are there's a copperhead real close by. And uh, so vipers do. They produce a certain aroma that that's there's a telltale sign. And uh, some snakes also deliberately, they, they smell even worse. Uh, I mean, tomatoes smell okay. Um, they will actually pull air into the rectum deliberately and fart to get people to realize they're there and leave them alone. So... Yeah, yeah, it's very much the case. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of 
peoples around the world believe they descended from or have some connection to snakes. The, the Naga people in India, who are now mostly Baptist, but before they were mostly Baptist, they believe they were descended from Nog, the snake god. And uh, if you look at a lot of ancient art, there's a lot of weird parallels between snakes and people. Um, so it's it's interesting. I, I want to look further into that tribe then because uh, that's a fun parallel. Yeah, the uh, when we just got a chance to check out some Mayan ruins, uh, and, mm. and you know they they were really into you know like snakes that they worshipped and and stuff like they yeah. were part of the part of the sculptures and stuff around where that were snakes. So yeah, it's it's either depending on if you're a religious person and you're on the Christian side, snakes are not not uh, normally the best representation, and other people they were the gods. So it just it really does right. vary throughout the world. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's something you see everywhere, snakes and, and humans. Let's talk a little paranormal. What okay. are some of the stories? Tell me a couple of topics that you guys have covered on the show that were some of your favorites. Um, This is a little sadistic, but, you know, Cece, we, we do a lot of clean stuff because Cece gets scared and, and that's been good for us. So I'm not complaining, but I do get a little bit of enjoyment about things that that really do scare her. And so one of my favorite episodes was we talked about demons and she was already terrified. And then lightning struck the tree in their, their yard at a pivotal moment <laughs> of the episode. So that was, that was really fun. And um, a lot of our, our UFO stories um, there, there's so many different iterations of UFO stories, but uh, Alex talking about the, uh, the blob, aliens and i think that was our second episode that was fantastic and of course everybody really likes the Uparts episode that's one of our best uh rated episodes uh out of place and time objects or objects out of place and time give me a couple of examples of that for people who haven't heard that the show. oh sure uh two that are really notable there's uh there's um a shovel in the Northwest part of the United States that's carbon dated to be tens of thousands of years, years old, even though it looks modern. Um, and then my favorite, yes, that's right, Texas. And uh, my favorite is the Antithicara mechanism because we've pretty much confirmed that it is as old as it it's supposed to be, but it's baffling because it's really like a little computer, a little clockwork steampunk looking computer from very ancient Greece, thousands of years old should not exist with the technology they had, but clearly they had technology that we are not aware of. Yeah. We, uh, we covered uh, the hammer that's in Texas that was found that, uh, that was covered in the rock that was from like 10,000, you know, you're, or that was actually, you're way right. I, I'm misremembering. It was a hammer. I was thinking shovel for some reason. It was a hammer. Yeah. That's, 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 uh, I thought I knew, but I knew exactly what you were talking about uh, because it was a uh, good deal. But yeah. That's a, that's amazing because the rocks that it was in, the hammer was from like 10,000 years before or, or something, but the, the rocks that it was encased in was something like millions of years old. And right. it just made yeah. no sense for it being there. Right. It's totally baffling. Like the, the theories are endless from messed up dating to time travel to ancient tech. And, you know, who knows? It could have been a prankster. Maybe some hipster went back in time and left his hammer. <laughs> yeah, we we covered that uh, in our parallel universe episode. So that was one of those things that, 
you know, what's your thoughts real quick on parallel universes, time slips, that type of thing. Do you sure. think there are multiple reasons for that? Or do you have a, what you feel like is one main reason that there would be, you know, time slips and, and, and stuff like sure. of that nature? I, I personally think I've seen too much of it happen to discount it as like false memories or, or people making stuff up. I think what's more likely is we do live in in a uh, multiverse. There's there's a conceivably infinite number of possible universes where a number of of, of different outcomes are happening all simultaneously. Uh, I mean, there there could even be a few universes where we're having this conversation, but I'm left-handed or I'm wearing a blue shirt or what have you. You're you're going to a uh, instead of a well, I, I won't I won't dox you. I don't know if people want to know what concert I, you're going to or not. It don't matter. Okay. It don't matter. Instead of a Led Zeppelin cover band, it's a it's a Beatles cover band tonight. Um, I think that doing those that next are weekend. All... Oh, there we go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but I think it's uh, I think it's possible that that explains it that there we're literally surrounded by a near infinite number of simultaneous universes all happening um and occasionally there's some sort of collision or carryover um and even the possibility i i think this is very possible and it accounts for the mandela effect that when somebody dies in one universe their consciousness merges with another version of them in the nearest universe which uh ultimately means there could be a reality for each individual person where they can't die, which is both terrifying and cool at the same time. But I think that's probably the reason is, is multiverses. You know, and, and you mentioned the Mandela effect. I read a story the other day that I thought was, uh, you know, it wasn't the typical ones like that you see, like the Berestain bears or any of sure. that. It was, it was a, a person saying they grew up in a small town. It was only like 300 people in the town. And somebody had died in a car wreck like 20 years ago. Everybody remembers the funeral. Uh, one man had told his fiance that never met the person. And then like 20 years later, they're looking at a yearbook or something. They say, isn't this the girl that died? And then come to find out they weren't dead. But yet everybody remembered her being dead mm -hmm. and going to the funeral and then even a fiance saying they remember her boyfriend talking about it, about Dang. being at the funeral and just how strange that would be that so many people in that small town would remember it, but yet the person's there. Yeah, I was a, yeah, that's that's bananas. Like, yeah, that's and that is a departure from the usual stories where you you could account it to like, oh, well, you're misremembering. Well, what are the odds that a, a bunch of people in a small town will misremember one somebody they know's death? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the one that sold me for sure, where I was like, not misremembering, wasn't uh, I mean, some of the movies bothered me, but kidneys, like I, I that one, I know for a fact until like two years ago, kidneys were like four inches above uh, your pelvis. Now they're like a few inches from your lungs. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I don't even think I've heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. New reality dropped. Uh, the organs have moved. The heart's in the center of the chest now, and the kidneys are way higher up. They're almost uh, protected by the rib cage. So that's crazy. Yeah, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to start. I'm gonna have to start checking my kidneys a little different. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, I got, I got news for you. I found out when I drink too much caffeine, my kidneys hurt, and they hurt in my lower back. So, <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. See, there you go. 
Yeah, the craziest thing, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Bearstein Bears was one, you know, that everybody knows about. But also, I, I've always found the one most fascinating was the uh, Fruit of the Loom logo. You know, they say it didn't yeah. have, the, it's never had a cornucopia. And it's, I would have sworn up and down. Now, how does so many people right. not think that, that that there was a cornucopia when there wasn't? That's not just the, exactly. you know. And I remember it well, you know, and it, it, it doubly affects Kentuckians because that's where it's located. Um, yeah. But yeah, to me, and and it's kind of like with UFOs, like when you hear about these really weird UFO stories and the explanation is swamp gas, you immediately think, well, okay, the skeptical view is clearly reaching in, in this matter. Same thing with some of these uh, Mandela effects. Some of them, it's like, sure, maybe people just misheard that film. But the more notable ones, like what we're talking about, the explanation of, oh, well, people, you know, collective amnesia, misremember, it doesn't really, it's not a suitable argument for something that different. Um, and like, yeah, the fruit of the loom, it's why would people draw that association between a cornucopia and that brand if it wasn't present? So, right. yeah. And we won't even get into the Sinbad movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> all right brother i appreciate it man this has been fun i'm gonna have to have you on again Likewise. because you, you you are a wealth of knowledge that thank is you. just completely fascinating so oh well, thanks so much i had a lot of fun talking with you and I'm, I'm looking forward to it all right brother well tell everybody i said hi can do i'll see you all right guys that wraps it up for us this week we hope you guys have a very blessed week enjoy your monday off Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus with linkedin jobs we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need marketing wizards found them software engineers found that project manager i could never seem to hire and found LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.